This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Kyle Coster Show presented by The Big Lead. We're coming to you on a Wednesday and on the heels of what I think could be described accurately as the wildest week in college football coaching carousel history, things were wild. Now, maybe it goes back even longer a week. I mean, the first inclinations we got, this all started very close to home with Mel Tucker. Rumors of him being interested in the LSU job caused Michigan State to give him a 10-year, $95 million deal. Penn State quickly followed by securing James Franklin for a similarly long deal. And then we were just kind of off to the races. And two major shockers. Why don't we start with the one that set this thing completely out into outer space? And that's Lincoln Riley shocking the world under the cover of night, deciding to flee Oklahoma after losing Bedlam and go to USC, a program near and dear to your heart. And you're pretty tapped in to what's going on out there on the left coast. But I have to imagine you didn't have any heads up or warning signs because what they did in keeping this under wraps, uh, something of this magnitude is pretty unheard of in 2021. So why don't we start right there with how did you even begin to process the Lincoln Riley news? And was it as big of a shock to you as it was to the world at large? And I also, I also should take this opportunity to introduce my guest, Ryan Phillips of the big lead. He reached out to me. I got a dire text yesterday that said, look, man, I need an outlet. I have to talk about everything that's been going on in college football. This carousel is spinning 7 million miles per hour. I got all these thoughts. I got all these observations. I got to get them out of me. So I'm very happy to do that. Ryan, welcome in. Thanks, buddy. I I do need to talk to somebody about this because it is so crazy what's happened the last few days. Things that I think nobody would have predicted uh, and in succession, multiple things nobody thought you know, would happen. Uh, and it's still not done yet. That's the other crazy thing. There are still several big jobs open that will likely get big name coaches that will then affect other programs. So this is, we're mid carousel. We're not at the end of this. As far as the Lincoln Riley thing, I, I knew that USC reached out to him early in the process, but I think it was, it it felt like the kind of thing where it was sort of like, I'm not going to talk to my seasons. Like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to consider that right now. I mean, they fired Clay Helton in week two. So USC had a long time to sort of build up its, its portfolio here and to make a pitch. And from what I understand from the sources I've talked to, USC did not talk to Lincoln Riley after that until after Oklahoma lost to Oklahoma State over the weekend and contact was made with his agent that night. Hey, is this possible? Do we have a chance? Before that, USC had focused on Luke Fickle, who had a previous relationship with USC's athletic director, Mike Bone. He hired, Bone hired him at Cincinnati. So they had a previous relationship. Fickle said very early on, hey, love you. I'm staying at Cincinnati. We're moving to the Big 12. We've got a great program. I'm on fire right now. He's a Midwest guy. It makes sense. It's a big change. He's got a lot. He's got, he's got a big family. Didn't want to move to the West Coast. USC moved on from there. They focused on Baylor's Dave Aranda. They focused on Iowa State's Matt Campbell. And I think Lincoln Riley was always sort of this pie in the sky, sort of like, you know, we heard rumors of, of Mike Tomlin being somebody they were interested in. That was a pie in the sky. You know, if Tomlin's interested, maybe we go get him and we're willing to spend the money to get him kind of thing. And I, But Riley was always in the background here. Uh, it turns out that when Bone and his number two, Brandon Sosna, were at Cincinnati, Tommy, they fired Tommy Tuberville. Their number one choice was Lincoln Riley. He was the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. They courted him a little bit. Bob Stoops uh, says he's going to step down. Lincoln Riley takes the Oklahoma job. There was a previous relationship there. And then I guess on Sunday, you know, Saturday night, Lincoln Riley's agent tells him, hey, this is a possibility. What do you think? He sleeps on it. They talk Sunday. And this came together in hours, Kyle. This is not the kind of thing where they were working on this for two weeks. This came together in a few hours. USC offered the package. Riley said, I'm in. 
that's it. I'm gone. He didn't even really renegotiate, try and give Oklahoma the chance to negotiate. He just wanted this and he was gone. And so it, it, it is shocking in the speed it happens. And I would say that thing also probably is exactly what happened with Brian Kelly at Notre Dame because LSU was also pursuing Lincoln Riley. They turned their attention quickly away from him onto Brian Kelly. So I, these things are happening. Usually, as we've talked about, as you, as you talked about with Mel Tucker, that was in the works for weeks. You know, this is a long process. They, they announced, you know, the, the rumors leaked about the contract and then it was, it took maybe a week for it to finally be official. That's not what's going on on the coaching carousel anymore. This is a snap of the fingers and these guys are, are, are switching teams for massive amounts of money. It's crazy and stunning. It's not like anything I've ever seen before. Well, and that's another reason why all the Mel Tucker takes really bothered me because once again, I think that MSU is at the forefront, kind of at the cutting edge. They saw what was going to happen. They saw the handwriting on the wall. They understood that this offer had come in for LSU. I think it's, I don't know if it's been officially reported, but Brian Kelly got the exact same deal that Mel Tucker was rumored to be getting uh, and then was matched by Michigan State. But they really kind of saw that in a span in Penn State as well with James Franklin. They saw where this thing was going and they saw we're going to fly open, kick open the saloon doors to the Wild West. And we're just going to be taking fire from everywhere. And the cost of doing business is going to, number one, go up exorbitantly. But number two, it's going to be insane. Like we are going to dive into the ethics of big name college coaching and whether those ever existed, whether they should exist. But I think in practical reality, everything is moving so damn fast right now and will continue to move fast. And through that lens, I kind of think that like Riley doing this was such a shocking surprise thing in the moment, but I kind of think that's going to be the template going forward. And part of that reason is there's no good way to leave your current program. Riley is getting absolutely torched by Oklahoma. And that's very understandable. You don't even have to be like an irrational sports fan to understand that. No one likes to feel that a sense of loyalty has been betrayed. They're not going to like the end result, no matter how you conduct your business. It's born out of a feeling that these schools, these individual schools are not in control anymore. NIL has exploded the money. It has exacerbated the professionalization of football in particular. Who benefits the most? It's the people who can garner the biggest payday. They have all the power right now. And this is just the way that it's going to be. So I really kind of think that like we're, we close the book on one era, a quaint five potential replacements for this job post, which we've gone to over and over and over and over and over again with great success to, oh, God damn, there's a new Ohio State coach. Uh, there is a new Georgia coach. When did that happen? Like, I'm here now. I'm on campus. I'm ready to go. Like, it's going to move so fast. They have the all trans- the power. And I it's don't the have transfer that. portal for coaches. I mean, that's what it feels like. You're, ex- you're exactly right. And because the transfer portal is immediate, any time spent trying to plan something out in the future too is a waste of time for both the coach and the new school. So I don't see any way that this gets solved unless they turn like a recruiting dark period is one of the things that I've seen that after this week's games, you just go dark into March. But even then you want to get on campus and you want to get like a five month head start. So I kind of think we are entering a brand new era here. Yeah. And what's interesting, you, you talked about the Mel Tucker contract at the time. People were like, wow, 95 mil. Like, what is it now? That's an average contract. It, it, two weeks later, that's an average contract, it seems like. And that's the way things are going. TV deals are about to explode. So they were Michigan State was ahead of the curve. That was incredibly smart of them to do that. Um, I, I agree with you. I think it's a different era right now. And I think that the fact that there's so much TV money and there's so much, you know, with NIL and things like that, you can win anywhere if you run the program right, you know, with expansion too. Cincinnati has gone from being a mid-major program to a program that's now moving to a major conference. What, what are you, whatever you think of the Big 12, it is a major conference now. And 
they can win there consistently. They will have way more money. Luke Fickle, if he decides, you know, I know he's probably the top choice for the Notre Dame job and could move there. But if he decides to stay at Cincinnati, you, you, you don't look at that the way you did 15 years ago. It's like, what is he doing? You know, like for years, Mark Few at Gonzaga, everybody was like, okay, when's he going to move up? When's he going to move up? When's he going to move up? And he stayed and he's built it into a powerhouse. Luke Fickle could do that at Cincinnati. Ohio is a great recruiting state. The landscape of college sports has completely changed. Everybody's on national TV now, every game, every, you know, I mean, it's just such a different way of doing things. And it is what's interesting is we have this idea of destination jobs and there are certain jobs you never leave. Notre Dame is one. Oklahoma was thought to be another. Uh, you know, you think obviously you put Alabama, Texas, you've got these big, big schools with lots of tradition. I don't think there are destination jobs anymore because I think it's whatever you think is the best and whoever's going to offer you the most money. That's your destination job. Lincoln Riley could go to USC and USC is a destination job long. You know, we've thought about for a long time. That's a great place. Great tradition. All, tons of money in, uh, invested in the program. We're recruiting out of L.A., all of that stuff. He could go to the NFL in a few years. You know, I mean, le legitimately could. We need to recalibrate how we think of these things because where coaches are going to go is where the best opportunity to win a national championship and make the most money. Those are the two things. Brian Kelly left Notre Dame because of those two considerations. He's getting more money than Notre Dame was going to pay him. And LSU has a much better chance at winning a national title given the players they can get versus the ones he gets at Notre Dame. Colin Coward made a great point. He thinks LSU is a better job. And the reason why every time Notre Dame goes up against one of those SEC schools, they get their teeth kicked in because they don't have the players that the SEC schools do. Brian Kelly's probably tired of that happening. If he's 60 years old and he's going to coach for another 10 years, he wants to go somewhere where he's got a chance to compete for a national title. It makes complete sense to me. I have to imagine you're excited as a Trojan supporter because it does seem like a really good fit with Lincoln Riley out there. He's young. He's energetic. His offense has not proven to be this juggernaut like we thought it would be. I mean, the, the talent that goes through there speaks for itself. There is a little bit of an inability to win the big game in establishing the run. You look at the playmakers they had against lesser inferior talent many times this year. It was kind of cause for alarm. But I think that the move makes sense for him as well. I believe that the Pac-12 can be just as easy a road to the playoff as the Big 12, especially at a program like USC, which has just been waiting for someone to wake it up and waiting for someone to figure out how to use all these great ingredients they have to cook something up that's delicious and successful. I think you stay out of the SEC really big. I think the SEC is going to eat itself. There's going to be programs in that conference five years down the road that are going to be like, what are we doing here? Like we have no shot to compete against these seven top tier teams right here. And even if you're one of the seven top tier teams, what if you don't, what if the decade goes by without you playing in a championship game? Like nobody's going to have that patience anymore. He goes to the PAC 12. He steps into a situation where, we believe at this point now, like Mario Cristobal is probably going to stay at Oregon. The path there is fairly simple. Like just get better than Oregon. Like Utah is always going to be lurking. Washington is a mess right now, but it seems like if I'm Riley, this is the exact choice that I would have made too before factoring in that you get a new lease on life you get a new challenge. It really makes a lot of practical sense in my mind for him to go out there. I have to imagine that the news has been extremely well-received in the USC community. Yeah, it's, it's overwhelmingly. I mean, it's just shock and, and happiness. And here's the, here's the one thing about Lincoln Riley. He's been recruiting the heck out of California for several years. And so he knows all those relationships. He knows those players and he's been getting great players. He had his 2023 recruiting class at Oklahoma, which is now devastated by this news. Guys are decommitting left and right. Had a bunch of the top kids from California going to Oklahoma because they wanted to play in that offense and they wanted to be able to fit into those playmaker spots. Those guys are all going to commit to USC now. There's no question about it. Because the, the thing is, 
players in California love USC. A lot of them grew up rooting for Reggie Bush and Pete Carroll and, you know, the, 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 the glory days, but th they didn't want to attach themselves to a sinking ship. And since Pete Carroll left, USC has been, has had one or two good seasons and been a sinking ship. And that's, he left in 2000, January of 2010. And what, has what what has been obvious there is that it's very easy to recruit to USC. Blaine Kiffin killed it in recruiting. Steve Sarkeesian killed it in recruiting. Clay Helton had a few good recruiting classes before it was clear that he just was not a great coach and nobody was going to attach themselves to him. You can recruit there in your sleep. The question is who can coach them up and develop them. And that's what Pete Carroll staff did so well was took these great players and made them better. That's what Lincoln Riley's done at Oklahoma as well. He's made these guys better. And this year, yeah, they struggled this year offensively. They didn't have a quarterback. That I mean, that they didn't. Their quarterback situation was not figured out. They had a true freshman, and they had Spencer Rattler falling apart essentially. I think he'll be fine uh, at USC. You're right about the Pac-12, though. That is an incredibly easy path to the college football playoff. Incredibly easy. He can backstroke. USC is winning one of the worst divisions in college football. They've got Utah and nobody else, really. I mean, UCLA had an okay year with Chip Kelly this year, but they're still not figured out. They don't recruit very well. He, Kelly doesn't recruit very well. If you look at Oregon, Oregon has been has, has risen its profile as a program under Mario Cristobal. USC is still USC, though. The power of that university, the power of that program trumps everything else on the West Coast when it's going well. Pete Carroll showed that. I think Lincoln Riley will, too. Um, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's a perfect fit for what he does. An up-tempo, flashy offense. It's made for TV, and, and it's L.A., man. You know, I mean, he, he'll be a star quickly, and you'll, you'll start seeing the movie stars on the football on the sideline again. I really do think that this is going to be, uh, with the playmakers he can get recruiting out of Los Angeles, I think he's going to absolutely kill it there. Will he win national titles? I don't know. Will he, you know, be able to win the big one? I, I don't know, but I think he's going to dominate the Pac-12. I don't think there's any question about it. Well, the entire conversation is going to change, right? Because it's we all assume that we're going to go to a 12-team playoff. That seems undeniable, and I think that Inevitable. that's going to be a good thing. So these destination jobs are largely destinations because people believe that the infrastructure is there for you to emerge as one of the top four teams in time for the playoff with that widening out. Same can be said about Mel Tucker. Same can be said about James Franklin. Same can be said about Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley, Tucker and Franklin. They don't necessarily have to be one of the four best teams in the country. They need to be competing to be one of the best 12. So it's programs that are like in that 15 to 20 range. However you want to spread that out right now, that seems like fair comps for everything, like 15 to 30. Well, you start doing well, you're going to make the playoff. And I've had this conversation with people is I think what's going to happen when we expand the playoff is it's going to turn more into what the NFL is, right? It's going to be more random and it's going to be more about making the playoff and maybe winning a game in it. We're going to get like, a really diverse array of both champions, but also teams that are making it to the semis. It's really going to widen things up. The goal is to win 10 games. You're probably in if you're in one of those power conferences. And even if you finish second behind an Ohio state, or you finish second behind an Oregon, like you can be playing there. I think that that path gets way harder when you're one of those teams that's in the sec and you're staring at, okay, how the hell are we even going to go eight and four and get out of this? Like, it's kind of like this smoothing out of where is the path of least resistance? And then number two, like, what's a good quality of life? The Lincoln Riley thing, if you want to live in Norman, Oklahoma, like, that's fine. I'm sure it's great. But the allure of Southern California is very obvious. And part and parcel of that is probably the fact that not everything in the people's lives around you is going to revolve what's happening in that football stadium on Saturday. So I think that uh, these coaches are surveying the landscape, Franklin, Tucker, and Riley, and deciding, you know what? I'm going to go for like not a lesser than, 
but I'm going to go slightly off the beaten path at a place that will appreciate me. And I'm going to appreciate being because ultimately we're playing to get into this winner take all tournament. And I don't have to be right at the recruiting locus to make sure that I get there each and every single year. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about Riley is look, he's, he's going to probably live on the coast uh, at a very nice place, but he's going to, he's not going to be the big house in the neighborhood. He's going to have CEOs. He's going to have executives of, you know, maybe other sports franchises and things like that. When he walks his dogs or hangs out with his kids, he's not, you know, it's not going to be people running up to him. And, and, and it's interesting that you go to the land of stars and you can become more anonymous, but I do think that he's going to become a star in LA. Uh, You look at the three big brands in Los Angeles are the Lakers, the Dodgers and USC football. Those are the three biggest brands and USC has fallen off the map because they haven't been good. And you got to be a winner in LA to get any attention. It's why teams have struggled to break through. It's why you've seen franchises leave. You saw football franchises leave Los Angeles years ago. He's going to be able to build that up and be a star, but he's going to be able to go home at the end of the day and probably be left alone because people in his neighborhood are going to be used to seeing famous people. It's, it's just going to be a different lifestyle for he and his family. Um, I agree that I, I think that, as I've said, I think that the world has changed. You can be happy at a Cincinnati. You can be happy with, you know, not look, look to move on from a Penn state, from a Michigan state, from wherever. And the other thing we haven't talked about is a lot of these contracts. You're saying, how is the school going to be able to afford this much money? A lot of these contracts are costing the school precisely nothing because boosters are stepping up and being willing to pay that because they want their programs to be successful. Again, another sea change is that, you know, a booster is willing to foot a hundred million dollars to make sure that this program is, is an elite program. So I do, I do agree. I think that, that our ideas of what is the goal in college football has completely changed. I mean, people have said for a long time, Dabo Swinney would eventually leave Clemson if, if Nick Saban stepped down to go to his alma mater at Alabama. Why would he leave Clemson right now? Like why? Right. He can do whatever he wants there. And he basically runs the school. Uh, I doubt that he goes. I, I think this this started was interesting when Les Miles was at LSU and doing really well, and Michigan came open. We thought people thought, well, he's going to go to his alma mater, and he said, no, I'm having, I'm, I'm really, I'm doing really well here. Like, why would I move? And it's uh, so I do think that this is, you know, we have this antiquated feeling about certain things in college sports, and the world has changed. There's so much money in it. More than we can fathom. There's so much uh, turnover with roster. You know, you can turn around a team in a season with transfers and uh, with a good recruiting class with how many young guys play now. Uh, it used to be you get on freshmen, get on campus, you don't hear from them until two, three years down the road. Uh, that's different now. And, and so, so much has changed. There's easy rebuilds. There's all this kind of new infusion of life and money and 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 ch- and just change that we have to alter our thinking of, of, of what we think about coaches, what we think about players, what we think about all this. You'll see successful players transfer. You know, guys who are actually starting and doing well are transferring now to, for an, an opportunity that fits them better. So I, I just think that it, the world is very different in college sports now. And I, I think that the, you know, our thinking is the media needs to, needs to really change and recalibrate and understand that in the grand scheme of things, these things, we shouldn't be considering them that shocking. Someone who was doing really well at his current place but decided to move on is Brian Kelly. And Kelly's career, like, I think I sent a tweet out. I did some research for a tweet on a Saturday earlier this year. But if you consider what he's done in his career, and he's a local guy. He started at Grand Valley State out here and then went to Central. Like, it's like he's been doing this forever, and he's so successful He won so much at Notre Dame national championship. No, but I mean, come on. He competed well, having the rigors of the academic standards to deal with, uh, of maintaining a certain type of culture. Like to me, he's one of the best coaches in college football and maybe did the best job altogether, considering everything outside of Saban the last 10 years. What the move to LSU suggests to me and where it gets tricky to try to decide like what this suggests going forward for everybody is I don't know any other way to look at this than he just didn't like being the coach at Notre Dame anymore because you can make the playoff at Notre Dame. He'd made the playoffs at Notre Dame. He's recruited well at Notre Dame. He is not 
entirely appreciated for all the success that he's had at Notre Dame from the outside and to a level it's kind of weird. It seems to me like he just got sick of it and he didn't particularly like the situation he was in. I think that's kind of as simple as it is, right? Yeah, and and first thing, you're, you're talking about his career and you're absolutely right. He's gone everywhere and built winners everywhere very quickly. I mean, it's, it's his third year at Notre Dame. He was in the national championship game and Notre Dame had been a disaster for a long time. They had one good season under Charlie Weiss. And other than that have been really a disaster for a long time. Cincinnati took it from kind of a, you know, an okay big East program to they went undefeated his last year. Uh, Central took off, took over, went four and seven. His first year was nine and four by his last year and was off to Cincinnati. Grand Valley state won national championships at that level. Uh, he's a fantastic coach. I mean, as, as a, as a, you former USC student and USC fan. It's really hard for me to say that, but Brian Kelly did a great job at Notre Dame and turned them into a power. Uh, there were some rumors going around that he, he was talking about wanting the facilities to be upgraded at Notre Dame because when he's going down trying to get these SEC athletes, he's running into the facilities at the SEC schools are better. And Notre Dame was butting heads with him on that. And, and look, to, it's, it's hard to recruit to Notre Dame. I mean, you, you can recruit the tradition, you can recruit the Midwest guys, but when you're going down to, when you're going to California, when you're going to Florida, when you're going to Texas, you're taking them to a cold weather place where I don't know if you've been to South Bend, but it's a nothing town that's kind of depressing because of how much industry is left there. And you've got a beautiful campus, but where are those kids going to spend most of their time? In the football facility. And if your football facility is not on par with the others around the country, it's going to be tougher to recruit. And he did well recruiting. But maybe there are guys he thought were the difference between making the playoff and winning a national title, and he's not getting them. Um, so, you know, butting heads on that, I think. And and I also think I agree. I think, look, 12 years is a long time to be at any job for anybody. And I think that sometimes you need a new challenge to, to spark your joy again, to, to bring you back, uh, bring back your passion. Um, but, you know, it's, it's hard for us to fathom because it's, again... We've all seen Rudy. It's Notre Dame. You know, it's it's the it's the pinnacle of college football, but I guess not anymore. Um, it doesn't mean it's not a great job. And, and I think they'll they'll wind up with a great replacement for him. But, yeah, I, I think that it just was the kind of thing where he wants a new challenge and he wants something different. And, um, you know, stunning. Absolutely. To be doing this at 60, if he was doing it at 40, you'd be like, OK, you know, he's 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 trying to move up, trying to you know find something else. But. He looked settled there and, and uh, it looked like, you know, a gig that he had figured out and, and was, was, had, had, had cracked the code that so many had failed at and, and was doing well. And it's, it is, it's shocking and stunning and, and all of that. And also I, his fit at LSU, I I'd look at it and I'm like, how does that work? Like it, it, like he seems like a Midwestern guy, you know, and, and that type of player and, and that type of, um, program fits him better and he's going to LSU where you got to be flashy and you got to be, uh, you know, you got to wow people really early and it never feels like Notre Dame wows you. It feels like they grind you down and beat you that way. So I, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting fit. It's an interesting decision, but he got a whole lot of money and he's going to go to a place where look, Ed Orgeron recruited really well. Uh, that was the one thing he did exceptionally well was recruit. LSU's got a lot of good players. Like Brian Kelly could have them winning next year. I don't think they'll be a, a title contender, but he's a very good head coach and he could make that team really good next year. And, and I think that's maybe the opportunity he saw. He had a, a, a loaded recruiting class at Notre Dame for next year. I wonder if he'll poach some of those guys. Um, but the fact that he was willing to walk away from that recruiting class, go to LSU tells you that maybe he was uh, a little bit tired of what's going on. And hey, according to Notre Dame's athletic director yesterday, I don't know if it was just a bitter speech or whatnot. He was saying that Brian Kelly was talking to other programs, you know, throughout the process. So maybe he was looking for an out for a while. I think what makes it so exciting is the variance. I could see this going spectacularly yes. well for LSU. I mean, look at the coaches who have won national titles there. Brian Kelly's better than them. Yes. Like we have very recent history that suggests that the cultural fit Normally, I think that a lot of that stuff is really overplayed. Like I, Nick I completely Saban is agree. not from Alabama. Nick Nick Saban is from West Virginia. He cut his teeth coaching in the Midwest. Uh, when you win someplace, I believe Rosillo's latest podcast talked about this. He made a good point. 
if you win, then you're like retro, you're retconned into being like, oh yeah, you're our type of guy. You're a native. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it kind of works like that. And if you lose, it's like, well, they never really got it. I mean, Rich Rod <laughs> at Michigan, for example, like yeah. if Rich Rod had been going 11 and one, then you want to know what? I think he would have been a Michigan man. He was an outsider yeah. and out of his depth because it was uh, the on-field product wasn't up to snuff. I think that the Kelly element of this merits some dissection as to how it's been covered by the media, how it's been processed by the public. Nobody has taken a harder time for leaving their job in high profile college athletics than Brian Kelly. The matter in which he did it, the matter in which he did it doesn't seem to be the best. It doesn't seem like there was a lot of transparency there. There's been this weird obsession over, oh, he's going to have a 7 a.m. meeting and how long did he talk at the meeting? And I'm having a hard time understanding what the public at large wants from these coaches because I don't know, like, if you lose, you're, you're, if you're going to be losing your job, if you're going to be ending a relationship, the conversation and the manner in which that news is delivered to you, yes, it it can be better in the moment, but ultimately it's in the same place. Yes. Nobody's like, oh, that's really terrible news. That's really disappointing to me, but I appreciate the way in which you delivered it to me. And thank you for spending more time delivering it to me. You don't remember how it came to you because like five minutes after it happens, you're like, okay, well, this is the reality of the situation. And you're focusing on like the actual blocking and tackling of what your new life is going to look like, whether right. professionally or personally. So it does seem weird to me that there's like a sect that is uses anything that happens in college athletics to make like the easiest point to gesture like, oh, this person's a bad person or they're pay the players or all this stuff that doesn't seem to like have a one-to-one -one relationship with what's actually going on. And more importantly, like how people could actually conduct themselves in the real world. I guess the question for you would be like, is there any good way to leave your job? If you need to leave before the bowl game, because you can't be honest with the media and say, yeah, I'm leaving. Now let's go out and beat Stanford. Like that's not going to work. If you lie, you're going to be in trouble. They're going to keep asking about it. You can't tell your players you're leaving because they check out. You can't lie to your players right. because they feel misled for obvious reasons. But it's kind of shocking to me that we've been through years and years and years of this in a system that rewards coaches for doing this. They have to pay the short-term price of bad PR, but I'll bring this up. Nick Saban left Michigan State in a horrible way. He didn't tell them. They found out his wife was down there house shopping. You want to know what? It worked out for him. It was the yeah. right move to go to LSU. And then Who remembers that, by the way? Michigan right, State just people, people, that's people it. at Michigan State. So <laughs> it kind of seems like an unwinnable situation, and I don't want to be like bootlicker here for these coaches who don't need me to stand up for them with how much they're being paid. But it does seem like they're destined to fail no matter what order of operations they employ. Yeah, it, look, I, I think the public wants the coaches to go give a big rousing speech about how wonderful it is and then meet with all 100 players individually and explain their decision. That's not going to happen, folks. Like, it's just not. It, it's because it's awkward for the coaches, too. And it's awkward for the players. And I think everybody's taking the rip the bandaid approach. Have the meeting. Tell them you're leaving. I'm sorry that this is working out this way. This is the best thing for my family. If a starting quarterback wants to transfer nowadays, he can do the same thing to the coaching staff. For a long time, that was the thing is that coaches can leave whatever they want, but players are locked in. That's changed now. Players can leave whenever they want now with the rules. So there is more of a level playing field as far as that goes. I agree. It stinks. You commit to a coach. You commit to a coach. People say, oh, no, commit to the school. Let's be real. They commit to the coaches. They're going to be their family while they're on campus. And when your family leaves, it hurts. That's going to suck no matter what happens. But we also all know what we're getting into here you know these guys could leave. If they get a $100 million offer, I'm sorry. I love the big lead. It's my, it's my favorite job I've ever had. If they offer me 10 times, if somebody else, I don't care if it's a horrible place, offers me 10 times what I'm making, I'm sorry, Kyle, I'm probably going to take the job. Like it's, You have to understand the calculation that goes into this for the public. I mean, Brian Kelly got offered basically $100 million. He's 60 years old. He was not going to get $100 million from anybody else. He's going. Lincoln Riley offered 
rumored about $12 million a year, which is about double what he was making at Oklahoma. He's taking that job. Um, what I will say is people are talking about, why don't you stay with your team through the bowl game and, and you know, go after that? No, there's an easy answer to that, and it's recruiting. There is a the early recruiting deadline now is I think December 15th. It, it's that has changed the calculus in college football. It used to be end of end of January is where all the recruiting focus was. Now these guys are signing early to get locked in in case they get injured, you know, whatever. They're signing scholarships early. Uh so Brian Kelly's got to be on campus recruiting today to get for that deadline. If he's going to switch recruits from Notre Dame, if he's going to go get new guys and re-energize LSU, he's got to be on campus today. They'll probably have a big recruiting weekend this weekend and the next weekend. They need to get those guys to jumpstart the, re- the the building process. Lincoln Riley, same thing. He's leaving because he's getting there and he is going to try and flip those recruits he had at Oklahoma. He's going to try and lock down LA, get a top, you know, do they go from what USC has right now, like the 81st ranked class in this, but they were finalists for a lot of good players who didn't want to go play for Clay Helton. He's going to try and flip those guys back now and get a top 10 class to help jumpstart uh, his, you know, his, his build there. Um, and, you know, let's be real. Kelly and Riley want to be able to get the kind of players that fit their system as quickly as possible. So that's what this is all about. And that's why you hear Notre Dame might wait for after the playoff to go out get Luke Fickle or something like that. That's a huge risk because recruits could just say, nope, not doing it. I'm not going to go there. And it puts them behind the eight ball. That's the reason for all of this. That's the reason for the right after your team loses its last game or plays its last game. Boom, you're out. Brian Kelly's team could make the playoff. I mean, Notre Dame could make the playoff. It's, it's, it's not even a, a moonshot. They just need two teams to lose. And that conference championship games, teams lose all the time that shouldn't lose. Notre Dame could be in the playoff with an interim head coach. It would be unprecedented, but there's a reason he had to leave when he left. And I think people need to sort of understand the reality that recruiting is probably 50% of the job in college football. And the rest is split between development and on-field coaching. If you get the best players, you're going to get good results. And so I, I just think that the importance of that is why you've got these coaches bolting so quickly and just, getting out and getting on campus as fast as they can to start jumpstarting that. To push back a little bit at that, like I agree with you, but just looking at it from the perspective of the schools, it must suck because you can't, oh, yeah. neg- you can't recruit negatively against your own coach. You can't say anything bad. You need to be all in on the person. You need to be supportive. You need to let that person run the type of program they want to run, but you know that they could leave at any moment and you're yes. left holding the bag. Right. And the biggest challenge in recent years has been these outrageous buyouts that saddle athletic programs for a long time. Now the real saddling is going to be done with, Hey, I'm left with a team that still has stuff to play for. And I don't have a coach and I might need to figure that situation out. Like you said, in Notre Dame's case, they have a chance. They could win the national championship. Yeah. They could. I last night, Gary Bart is saying that like, Brian Kelly leaving could be held against them. This is a topic for a different podcast, but like that should be assigned to everybody that we just shut it down right there because it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. You're going to penalize kids for a coach leaving. Like why play the games? If we're, it should mm-hmm. be the most deserving. Like there's other people that can coach a game. Like it's not, it's not like this. They're going to use the exact same system and somebody else is going to be calling the plays. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, it might not go as well, but it's just like, they're not, you know, they're not going to lose 70 to nothing. And like, they don't have to learn a new like, offense in the next week, you know? So I, I do understand why it's a really tough spot. And like, you know, we both feel how we do about Notre Dame, but I feel kind of bad for them. Like what the too. hell are they supposed to do? Like the coach they want, they can't go out and get a big splashy hire right now. Fickle's not going to leave. He's not going to leave if they win that game because he's going to be in the playoff. Like you can't do that to your reputation. If you're Luke Fickle saying, okay, no. I'm going to go coach Notre Dame now. Like that'd be kind of an insane thing to do. I um, could see him. I could see him announce like, Hey, at the end of the season, I'm going to go to Notre Dame. Um, but I'm going to finish, you know, with Cincinnati or whatever. I could see him doing that. And honestly, coaches don't do that kind of thing and say like, hey, at the end of the year, this is what I'm going to do because people think, oh, you've got divided loyalties or whatever. It's like, no, I'm focusing on this now and then I'm going to go. And I don't understand the problem with that. I think NFL coaches don't come to college very often 
if you want to go to college, you should say, Hey, after the playoffs, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to hire some people to run it for me until I'm there. I will not be focused on that. I'll be focused on this and then I'll go. I, I think that would be much more acceptable. And people say, reflexively say like, no way, you know, you'd have divided loyalties and divided focus and whatever. And then if you lose, obviously in the playoffs, they'll be like, Oh, you were focusing on that. But I think that would be more well-received than just leaving immediately. If you're going to go do something and Brian Kelly could have said, Hey, I'm going to put a staff in place at LSU, uh, put some guys in place to run it. I'm going to finish my season with Notre Dame. And then I'm going there. I trust them to recruit. Well, I trust them to do whatever you're going to be there 10 years. Maybe the first recruiting class isn't the most important thing in the world, you know, but I, I think that would be far more well re- received than, than this stuff is. But I think people reflexively think it wouldn't be. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, it, it's interesting, man. I, I, because you're right. Fickle could win a national championship. He's not leaving Cincinnati until that's up. I mean, like the idea that you would leave a chance, a shot at a title for another job is, is, I mean, I don't think anybody would do that. And, and Kelly, I think he knows his team isn't capable of winning a national title. They've had issues at quarterback. They've, you know, they've been able to win some big, some, some decent sized games, but I just think he knows this isn't the national title team and that's why he's leaving. What would you do at Notre Dame quickly? I'll give you my answer, but I, I just kind of gut reaction. I feel like you got to promote the best internal candidate to go forward, whether that be in the playoff in the bowl game, let them roll into next season. And then if you want to make a big splashy hire, you do it sometime next year. It's not the sexiest path, but it mm-hmm. does seem to be like something that could work with someone who has been a long time assistant and maybe goes into the job with eyes wide open. And look, here's the perfect example. Look at Luke fickle, right? He did yeah. that interim tag at Ohio state. No one thought that was going to be forever. And you know what? He responded just fine. And if anything, the way that he handled himself there catapulted him into conversation for what has proven to be a fantastic job at a fantastic program. Yeah. The guy who's getting the internal push right now is Marcus Freeman, their defensive coordinator. He's only been there one year. And funny enough, he was Cincinnati's defensive coordinator. He's a former Ohio state linebacker. He is a, he's like 35, but he's a dynamite recruiter. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal recruiter and a really good defensive coordinator. He's the guy getting the push internally. I think externally, Luke Fickle is the guy they want to target. Um, but if it were to be somebody like that, it would be Marcus Freeman. I think absolutely, just given he's a rising star. And, and here's the thing. If Fickle came to, to, to Notre Dame, there's a really good chance that Freeman gets the job at, at Cincinnati. You know, they, they swap places. They're actually best friends and very tight and all that. Um so maybe he could convince him to stay. There's also rumors that Ohio state wants to steal him as their defensive coordinator. He's a Ohio state alum, but again, we can't predict these moves. We're in a different world in college football. What seemed logical five minutes ago is no longer logical. I think that's an interesting proposal. I really do uh, give him a year to figure it out, but it's also hard to recruit on a one-year contract, you know, and, and you're, cause you're recruiting for four years. Um, again, with the transfer portal, things have changed. Maybe guys would be willing to go and say, well, I've gotten out if, uh, this doesn't work out. I I do think if I'm, if I'm Notre Dame and I'm, you know, in my gut, I think the move is to contact fickle right now and come to an agreement and say, we will not announce it. Nobody will say anything. Let's just agree in principle that after your playoff games, you will come to Notre Dame. So we don't have to be scrambling. Like let's agree to this very quietly do it with one or two people keep it shut and just be like okay this is what we're doing you can whisper to people that we think we're getting this guy you know while you're recruiting or whatever go to your staff internally be like who wants to stay who wants to go who does fickle want who's he bringing with him you know figure that out i think that can be done um again i think the the smart thing to do nobody will blame luke fickle for leaving cincinnati for notre dame i think the smart thing to do if he's doing that uh, would just be to say, Hey, yeah, I'm going to ride the season out with Cincinnati. And then I'm going to Notre Dame. It's a dream. It's the kind of job I've always wanted, whatever. Nobody would blame him for that. I think that's the a one move B would be just try and reach out and come to an agreement quietly. Uh, C would probably be to go get Matt Campbell from Iowa state. I think is the, is the other thing that guy is looking around. He was heavily involved in the USC search. It looked like he was going to be the guy at USC. And then the Lincoln Riley thing happened. And I think they, put those plans obviously on pause to get what they thought was a better target, a bigger target and a, a better fit. But I think Matt Campbell has done as much as he can do at Iowa state. And I think he's looking around. I think there's a chance he gets the, he'll be up for the Oklahoma job as well. So you got to act quickly. If you're Notre Dame, 
you got, you got to figure something out. I think kicking the can down the road is tough because there are a lot of good candidates who are available right now. And if you wait a year, they may not be. We've kind of danced around the idea that it's the future is going to be unpredictable. But as we close here, I actually think that it is kind of predictable because schools have two choices, right? You can do the Penn state, Michigan state thing. And if you like the person you have, you keep it. If you like your plan, you keep your plan. Uh, that never went wrong. You sign up for years and years of like stability, right? Like, yes, someone could come and poach them, but you show them a bunch of goodwill up front. You decide, I want you to hem our program for a long time. You can see the benefits of sticking with people right down the road with Jim Harbaugh. I think that that's going to be incumbent on schools to like, it's going to be a gold rush for coaches. Get ahead of the and curve. Yeah. It's going to prove to be the bad choice for a lot of coaches who falter going forward, then have these onerous long-term deals. But the other option and what other schools are going to do is they're going to say, okay, well, nothing is sacred. And they're basically going to be trying to poach the biggest names each and every single year. So in two years, maybe you try to get Brian Kelly. In two years, maybe someone comes after Lincoln Riley. Like nobody is going to be safe except the people who have basically planted their flag, the coaches that have planted their flag and say, this is where I'm going to be. And you really believe it. And I do believe that from the outside, you can see and you can tell who means it and who doesn't. I don't think you need to always look retroactively. Like some people, you can tell that they really, really mean it. I think James Franklin is going to retire at Penn State. I agree. To be honest. But, but I mean, those seem like the two ways going forward. One of them certainly seems to be a lot less of a headache and can kind of like keep your side of the street clean and cause you not to be doing a ton of work. You're only playing defense about keeping your coach. You don't actually have to be actively playing offense and trying to poach someone and then pissing off all the other franchises and all the organizations out there and then trusting someone to like, with their word that they are going to come and not leave you like looking bad and looking exposed that you're not just playing into their latest attempt to get more money from their school. So to me, there's a way more obvious option. If you're pretty content with your coach, pay your coach, be willing to stick it out with them for at least four years, or you got to get your hands dirty and you got to start playing in that pool, which is going to be a total zero sum game. And I think that one approach is going to prove to be more successful in the long term. I do ultimately think that these schools that are going to be trying to get the home run higher each and every offseason, I think they're going to run into more problems than solutions. But it remains to be seen about what schools do going forward. But to me, those kind of seem like the two avenues of attack. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And look, James Franklin is a flawed head coach. Mel Tucker, I mean, I we'll see what happens with him as he's a pretty new head coach. But you know, you've seen some some chinks in the armor this year, and part of it's probably because he's still got to build up his team at Michigan State. He's, he's very early in his run there. But they're not perfect. They're not, they're not guys. This isn't Nick Saban. Neither one of them is Nick Saban. And they got massive contracts because you're right. People are realizing, well, what's worse? Having a good coach for a long time or having to replace your coach every three to five years. Um I think it's a smart play and I think that's the way to do it. And I think people, I think athletic departments are going to be happy with good as opposed to trying to chase perfect. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you may have a year where you go seven and six, but you'll have a couple of years where you win 10, 11 games, you know, that's worth it in the end. I believe that's worth it in the end. I don't think looking for an out when you win seven games, when you only win seven games is the smart thing to do. It's about stability. It's about, I mean, recruiting classes are for four years. You know, it's about getting the right players in there and developing them and all of that stuff. So I think it was the smart move. As you said, Michigan State, kudos to your alma mater for being ahead of the curve and seeing what was coming and offering him this massive deal that everybody in college football was like, why are they offering him almost $100 million? This is crazy. Well, a couple of weeks later, it doesn't look so crazy. It looks like they were the trendsetters and they started that trend. And, um, you know, it's going to make that move and the subsequent moves are going to make a lot of coaches around the country, a lot of money because got teams are going to be content. If you're Oregon, Mario Cristobal has not won the big one. He makes terrible decisions in game, but he recruits like crazy. Are you signing him to a hundred million dollar deal? You know, do you want to make sure he doesn't go to Miami or somewhere else? You know, 
pick your spot around the country. There are coaches who are flawed, but pretty darn good. How much are they going to get paid now? Do athletic departments all follow it? I think they will. I think this is going to be a situation where everybody gets paid. Um, who's at least decent and, uh, you know, Oklahoma state with Mike Gundy, how much are they going to pay him? You know, he's not going anywhere. Right. I mean, he can't, uh, Kirby smart, Nick Saban already making tons of money, but where around the country do you find uh, these spots where guys are good? Maybe haven't won the big one, but they're good. How much are you going to give them? If this was like two years ago, if this was happening, Ed Orgeron would have had a hundred and whatever million dollar contract. I mean, LSU was lucky that they were able to get out of that. He certainly would have gotten one of those contracts. Flawed coach, won a national title. It may not always be perfect, but, you know, he's one of us. We like him, blah, blah, blah. Here's $100 million. So LSU's lucky that they didn't have to do that then. Timing is everything, and it, it'll be interesting to see who else gets paid this offseason to present, prevent guys from moving around. Well, perhaps we're only saying this because we're both happy with what has happened with our team's as this wild thing spins off course, but it's making college football more exciting. It's piercing the conversation in a way that doesn't normally happen. I think it's going to be fun. Uh, these guys have always been the stars of college, whether it be football, whether it be basketball, it's the long standing coaches. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think that it's kind of cool to, we know so much more about their personalities than we do the pros the college football coaching carousel spins on. It's going to get much more wild. I can't wait to keep discussing it with you. Ryan, thanks for coming on, man. Always, buddy. Anytime. you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done.